Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the 367th episode of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Coming at you on Voice America Business Channel. And this is our eighth year broadcasting across the world from Hollywood Boulevard in Hollywood, California. If you were if you were listening last week, we broadcast the show from the shores of Sydney Harbour in Australia. It was um, I was over there for a presentation. It was it was good for our audience outside the US. Today is election day, so as soon as the show's over, it's pizza, beer, and wine in front of the TV with a few friends, either celebrating or commiserating, one or the other. But either way, it'll be a long night. Now, we all know, well, most of us outside Washington know, that pollution, deforestation, climate change, and the pointless killing of animals is destroying our planet. According to the World Wildlife Fund, the situation is so serious that we are the last generation that can save nature and the planet before it goes too far past the tipping point. Global wildlife populations have fallen by 60% in just the last 40 years. You know, we've been here for thousands, and in 40 years we've managed to destroy 60% of global wildlife. The population of more than 4,000 mammals, birds, fish, reptiles and amphibians have declined, many very dramatically. Over 90% of seabirds now have plastic in their stomach, compared with only 5% 50 years ago. More than a million seabirds are killed each year through entanglement and ingestion of plastic. And about half the world's shallow water corals have been lost just the last 30 years after surviving for thousands. Accelerating pollution, deforestation, climate change and other man-made factors have created a near catastrophic crisis. Current efforts to protect the natural world are lagging well behind the speed of man-made destruction. Current rates of species extinction are now up to a thousand times higher than before human involvement. The proportion of the planet's land that is free from human impact, it's about 25% now. It will drop to less than 10% by 2050. As habitat removal, hunting, pollution, disease and climate change continue to spread and countries get smaller as ocean levels rise. African elephants have declined by 60%. Deforestation in Borneo has led to the loss of 100,000 orangutans in just the last five years. And polar bears are going to be decimated as global warming causes the Arctic ice to melt. It is a real problem. Our plastic pollution has accelerated rapidly with 8 million tonnes. 8 million tonnes entering the sea every year, and this figure is set to double over the next 20 years. 
people are also consuming dangerous plastic through fish. In many countries, nearly all fish are contaminated by microplastic, and we're eating it. There'll be more plastic than fish in our oceans in less than 30 years. And the average square kilometre of ocean currently contains over 20,000 microplastic pieces per kilometre. Sheesh. Now, burning plastic and releasing dangerous gases associated with cancer. The worst affected countries are China and the Philippines. China, you can't see in front of your nose. I mean, it is atrocious. So what are the solutions to this man-made mess that we're in? There are many ideas about how to address the crisis everywhere except here. One is beach cleaning and public education at a local level. Now, this is combined with challenging policymakers and plastic producers to promote conservation. I heard today the new president in Brazil is following Mr. Trump and saying that global warming is a heap of crap doesn't accept it, doesn't accept climate change. <laughs> I don't know. Recycling efforts are becoming more creative. You know, plastic waste has been converted into building materials in Cameroon and Philippines and other places. Steps are being taken to reduce junk food packaging. We spoke a week or so ago about um, walkers in UK, the biggest manufacturers of chips who are going to biodegradable packs within the next two or three years. Charging for plastic bags and bottles has helped to reduce waste. And there's a guy named um, Boyan Slat. He's Dutch. And he's designed a huge trash eating machine that he intends to uh, deploy at the Great Pacific Garbage Patch. And this is a patch that's about the size of Australia in the middle of the Pacific that's all plastic. He believes he can remove 99% of that plastic in 30 years. Well, let's hope the hell he can. Human health, food and medicine supplies, as well as global financial stability, they're all damaged by declines in wildlife and nature. Because the welfare of up to three billion people, that's nearly one in every two and a bit on the planet, rely on wildlife to eat and to work, and it's been reduced because of land degradation. Services relying on nature are worth around $125 trillion globally. Now, you think the American economy is about $11 trillion. This is about 12 times the total American economy, which, as we know, is the biggest economy in the world. So we need urgent, urgent, urgent action from world leaders. There's a limit to what we can destroy and get away with it, and there's an absolute minimum amount of nature that we need to preserve. And according to the World Wildlife Fund, we're past that now. So do you get my daily 30-second read business newsletter? We've now got about 1.78 or something million daily subscribers. 
and it takes just 30 seconds to read. And every day we tackle a different subject from advances in medicine to new apps to new technology to subjects like Hyperloop, autonomous cars and blockchain. We talk about things like the boring company's new great tunnel under LA. If you got today's newsletter, you'd know that it's about how China is increasing online censorship by making it harder to bypass the firewall that they use to block thousands of blacklisted websites. Most of them, the ones that we in the US frequent most. So to keep abreast of all the new developments in business and technology and ensure that you're able to complete compete in this ever competitive world, you must get the Bob Pritchard newsletter every day. It's really easy. Go to my website, bobpritchard.com, and enrol every week. People do. Now, there's a huge number of startups and early-stage company entrepreneurs that listen to this radio show, and the one thing that 99% of them have in common is that they need to raise money. Nearly everybody that comes to us on on business wants to raise money, needs to raise money. And while many of these entrepreneurs create a really attractive-looking investment plan, most of them contain a whole bunch of red flags for investors. Now, we've talked about this before, so I'm going to talk about it again because it's pretty important and most people don't seem to get it. Investors hear and read hundreds of startup pitches, and there are statements and claims that immediately get them to switch off and reject the pitch. So I thought I'd go through some of these red flags again for you. Firstly, not disclosing all the facts on management experience and skills is a no-no. Investors expect to hear about prior experience and detailed knowledge of the space being pitched. Not being able to highlight this is the kiss of death. Secondly, don't lead with offering solutions free to customers. You know, I know you might say we're going to lead free to customers to get a good database and then we'll introduce uh, fees. That used to work. A lot of companies did it. Yeah, customers love free, but investors hate it. You think about it, Facebook spent over $100 million to kickstart their processes, and most of us don't have it. Third, don't emphasise social commitment, but not profit. If so, pitch to philanthropists, not to equity investors. Many companies, including Patagonia and Zappos and all those social commitment companies, use social focus, but they highlight financial return when they're talking to investors. Fourthly, don't use overused terms like paradigm shift and disruptive technology, and there's a few others that have been invented. Fundamental changes in technology frighten away more investors than they attract, and it takes much longer and more money to come to fruition. Fifth, Do not suggest astronomical sales numbers because sizing a startup market greater than the GDP of many countries simply is not credible. It implies overall poor business acumen. Sixth, do not use sales projections less than 1% market penetration and assert that everybody on the planet needs this. So less than 1% in five years is still a huge number. 
entrepreneurs in this category are usually dreamers. Seven, many entrepreneurs claim either no competition or hundreds of competitors. Investors don't like either. Focus on the top three competitors. Eight, no matter what you do, don't denigrate your competitors. Highlight your positives in competitive positioning rather than competitive negatives. Negatives. Investors fear that negative vibes will infect the business. Nine, never suggest first mover advantage as the primary barrier for a competitor. When a startup shows real traction, you can easily be overrun by competitors with more money. Take about five minutes. Ten, never suggest gross margins less than 50%. Many naive founders believe they can make profits with low margins, but it doesn't work. The investors assume that even if you survive, returns to the investor will, is probably unlikely. Eleven, never declare a 10 million valuation with no revenue or customers. The average valuation for angel investments is about 2.5 million. So if you're higher than that, investors are likely to walk away. Thirteen, never use the con- term conservative. We are, this is conservative. Investors are not looking for conservative. They want to make, they want aggressive projections, but not crazy. On opportunities, volumes and revenues, they want entrepreneurs that are not conservative. Now, you only get one chance for a great first impression with investors. So don't let any of these red flags destroy yours. Your credibility is paramount. If you don't have credibility, you don't get money. Don't jeopardise it with too much hype and passion because your future depends on it. And my guest after the break is Evan Hackle. He's the CEO of Tortal Training, which is a leading training development company. And he's principal and founder of Engage, I-N-G-A-G-E, Consulting. He spoke to me from his home in Boston. He is a great guy. We had a terrific discussion. He makes a hell of a lot of sense, and uh, he's also a sensational speaker. Now, this is Bob Pritchard, broadcasting across the world this week from our studio in Hollywood, California, and I'll be back in a minute. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com.
You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Radio Show, where over the past eight years we've given you an insight into the lives of somewhere around 400 of the world's most interesting business people. We've talked about the services they provide and uh, the challenges they faced, how they've overcome those challenges. But behind it all, we try to find out what it is that makes them tick. It's extremely difficult to create a successful business. Only about two in every hundred startup businesses succeed. So we we want to try and find out what it is that those two that succeed do that the 98 that fail don't do. And I've mentioned this a number of times, but it is extremely important for small businesses, businesses, startups, entrepreneurs to surround themselves with mentors, people that have that they can come on board with the business and give you straight advice, people that have done it before, people that um, preferably have been in your type of industry before and know the pitfalls and know what you need to do. It can make a hell of a difference to your success. I've had uh, mentors for probably 30 years and the same people have mentored me all the way through and it's... um, I would have made millions of mistakes. I have made millions of mistakes, but I would have made millions more if I hadn't have had good mentors. Evan Hackle is CEO of Total Training. It's a leading training development company, and he's the principal and founder of Engage Consulting, which is I-N-G-A-G-E, which is kind of cute. He's the host of Training Unleashed podcasts, the author of the book, engaging leadership and guess what he's a speaker like most of us <laughs> he speaks <laughs> on seeking excellence better together engaging leadership and attitude is everything hi evan welcome to the bob pritchard radio show you're being heard right across the world i am very happy to be here very happy to be here where are you right at the moment I am outside of Boston, Massachusetts, as oh, we speak. Okay. I went over there just recently for just a few days. I actually gave a speech and then had a few days' break. It's a great part of the world, but you can have the cold. <laughs> but well, it, I'm just ski, Bob. So it's okay <laughs> by me. I'll take the cold. Yeah, but you got to work. That's the trouble. You know, I... Snow and cold's fun for about the first hour and a half until you have to start shoveling it, and then all of a sudden it wears thin real quick. Um, what's the difference between a leader and a manager? Is one simply someone who a, a leader, someone who who motivates and drags people along through through sheer adrenaline, and a manager is somebody who sits there with a grey suit and a grey tie and a grey shirt and grey hair and plots grass. <laughs> What's the difference? Well, you, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting you describe it that way because I, I think if you ask somebody, you know, would you prefer to be a leader or would you prefer to be a manager, everybody go, I want to be a leader. Who would want to be a manager? I think if you ask an employee, 
a question, would you rather be inspired and motivated or would you be rather be told what to do? And everyone goes, oh, yeah, yeah, I want to be inspired and motivated. So everyone grasps that they, they need to be, you know, they want to be a leader. They want to be, they want to be inspired. They want to be motivated. Right. But the reality is, you know, both organizations need both. Right. right. You need vision. You need inspiration. You need passion. At the same token, you got to do the job. At the same token, you got to be organized. You have to have systems. You have to have procedures. Sure. So you can't, you can't, you can't just be um, one or the other unless you're big enough, right? Large corporations, you know, uh, you know, a good example of this is Apple, right? Right. Uh, Steve Jobs could be the most innovative, the most dynamic leader in the world because he had Tim Cook. And Tim Cook did the day to day. Yeah, and, and be a total asshole as a manager. Yeah, <laughs> right. And <laughs> so, <laughs> but you know, if you're a normal corporation like most of the people listening here, you know, you don't have a person who's you know a, a, a full time CEO leader who then has got a COO manager, a COO manager that's operating. But every business needs to have vision, have direction, know where they're going, and also needs to have a manager that sits back and, and you know, does budgets, uh, sits down with people, does planning, uh, sets, you know, goals, you know, the common term KPIs or metrics yep. of what, what, where people need to go, and you have to have both skills, but they're both very different skill sets. And it's very normal, and what, you know, go back to why do businesses fail, that a person is one or the other, right? One, yeah. you know, they're a great leader, they have a great vision, but they're, you know, they're not really good at crossing the I's and dotting the T's. And, you know, for a while they can get by with that. And then, in another case, you got a person that's really great at, you know, running the day-to-day practices of the business but doesn't have that vision. So, you know, the person with the vision grows fast and then crumbles. And the person without the vision runs a really sturdy business that never grows. Right. And, so, and that's why that's why businesses need both. And they can be, you know, I've got two part. I mean, they can be two different people. Um, but ideally, they need they, they need to be one and you need to understand the importance of doing both roles. Isn't it really difficult to find a leader? I mean, how often does a Jobs or a or a Musk or someone come along. And aren't they born? Don't they sort of pop out of the womb and they're all of a sudden leading a procession down the um, maternity ward um, hallway? Yeah, I'm going to differ with you there. I, I don't think they're born. Yeah, are some born? Sure. Uh, I think people can learn leadership skills. I think people can learn, you know, people that have experience in business that are properly mentored, properly coached, um, you know, read, read the right business books. I mean, it, you know, I'll plug my own book, Engage, Engaging Leadership with an Eye. You know, if you read that book, it gives you the clues and the keys on how to, how to be a great leader. And, and I think that people can be inspired and build leadership, leadership skills. You know, understand something. Leadership isn't necessarily about giving that powerful, dynamic speech that gets everyone, you know, riled up and, and excited. You know, leadership is about having a passion, about having a vision of where you want a company to go. 
Mm. And that, that doesn't that doesn't mean that the person's got to be the most inspiring. You know, maybe you know someone who's naturally inspiring that gives you know gives a speech. I mean, I, I'm, as I'm sitting here talking and thinking about the movie Animal House, when you know they're in the middle of the hearing and the guy gets up and starts going on and on, and this is un-American, and then they all march out, you know, <laughs> following this great speech. Yeah. You know, there, there are very few of those type of people in this world. Yeah. Um, but somebody that can sit back and see a vision of where a company can go and, and inspire people to want to make that happen, you know, I think these are skill sets that can be learned. Yeah. Um, I would have thought that, that there were two totally different types of personality. Somebody that can inspire a team of people to get out and run through a brick wall. Um, well, you know, look at, look at, there are people that can inspire a team of people that are not great leaders. You know, uh, so, you know, if you're an inspirational person, you're listening to somebody that gets you all excited, they get you all, they all got you all, got you all pumped up, but they haven't given you a direction of what to do and where sure. to go and where, you know, what, what's the flag in the ground for a business, right? Where, where's that business going? You know, what do we need to do to be in lockstep to get to where we're going? Yeah. That, that leadership is defining that vision. And you can rah-rah somebody all you want. I mean, you see this happen in companies all the time. We need more sales. Someone gives an inspiring speech. We need to, you know, we need to go talk to more customers. We need to do this. We need to do all, the, all these things without really creating a vision. You know, and a vision is a very powerful thing. A vision is more than just simply a goal. It's a why it matters. It, it's, it's the essence of a purpose and uh, something that there can be shared a shared power around something that the customers get, the staff get, the people get, that, that what you're doing is important uh, beyond, beyond the materialistic vision of, you know, let's just make some money. Can anybody, Although it's nice to make some money. Can anybody learn to be a manager? Can anybody learn to be a manager? Yeah. i got to tell you something. I think it's harder to be a good manager than it is, than it is to be a good leader. Yeah, I was actually thinking um, because there's an art to being a manager where you're sitting back and really coaching people, helping people, holding people accountable, but doing it in a way that motivates them. Yeah. You know, and, and so many people like, gee, you know, I, I'm going to be, I'm a manager and I'm going to get back for every time someone inappropriately abused me with power. Uh, and, yeah. you know, most managers, <laughs> All they do is they look for what you did wrong. You spend all your time looking, what's wrong, wrong? You know, you did this, Bobby did this wrong, you did this wrong, Bobby, you did this wrong, you did this wrong. And, and that's why, uh, you know, I talk about a lot, and this is in my, you know, my speech on positiveness, it's in my book, The Rule of Five, which is a good manager catches someone doing five things right and acknowledges five times for every one thing that they see that needs improvement. Right. And the reason this is important is that if you're managing someone, you don't want them running. I remember stories about a client that I had that when the CEO came into the came into the building, I'm like, you know, everyone was looking to hide. You know, no one was walking in the hall. All at their desks with heads down because they didn't want to talk to this guy. Because yeah. when he would walk by, all he would do is rag on you. And when people 
when people get acknowledged for what they're doing right, um, and then when they see that person who's five to one telling them that they're doing a great job, they love talking to them because it's much more likely the person's going to say something positive than negative. Yeah. And then when they, when they say something that is constructive, because they saw them do so many things that are right, they're really going to listen. And because they know how much this person cares and they know how this person knows how good they are at what they do. Yeah. And so, it keeps everybody motivated. Yeah, it does. And, and I think that's a hard skill set to, to, to develop. And, um, and it's certainly, you know, contrary to what you watch on TV. You know, I think TV is one of the greatest training tools in the world on life. Unfortunately, it just trains us all on the wrong things to be and how to behave. <laughs> um, that, that's the problem. But, I mean, we, we get so much by watching. You know, I remember as a kid watching Bewitch. And uh, most of the people listening probably have no idea what I'm talking about. But, you know, in the show, in the show Darren is always scared of what his boss is going to want. Yep. All I mean, just does anything his boss ever asks. He doesn't want to get fired, etc. And, and you know, I, I'm picking on that show, but you know, this is culture is taught through our entertainment, and you know, a lot of the things you know with the Me Too movement today are, are a direct result of culture being taught on television. You know, yep. where television shows show behavior which you watch today and you go oh my god I can't believe they did this on this TV show yeah um, and so you know it's a great teacher it's just teaching the wrong things so and it, I guess yeah, it's I'm more important it's more important now I guess because we've got a really tight labor force we, can, we can't supply enough people to fill jobs and that's forcing up that's making more competition for employees and forcing up wages. So I guess having business skills is critical to keep those people, but having leadership skills is important to make sure they don't go and bolt and go to the competition. You know, I, I'm glad you brought this up because this this is a, a very, very um, important topic to me we have to stop thinking in terms of wages. And, and, you know, we think, oh, we pay this person, you know, $15 an hour, we pay this person $25 an hour. We need to think in terms of productivity. Sure. Because you can pay one person one the same wage and one person's gonna do twice as much work as the other person. And so it's not what you're paying them, it's what you're getting. And so some companies just insist on, hey, we're just gonna pay the lowest market wage, we, we just, because, you know, everybody, you know, we're in a tough industry, you know, particularly people like in fast food restaurants and people working in, in retail, and their, their whole goal is <laughs> to pay as little as humanly possible because they're, they're trying to, they're trying to uh, keep, keep payroll down to a set percentage of revenue. And, and I would argue that percentage of revenue is very, in fact, relevant but it isn't necessarily the goal by paying people less. If you have better people that are more productive, that get more done, and you pay them more and you don't lose them, you're going to make a lot more money. Yeah. So it's, it's very short-sighted to just simply look and say, what are we paying people? You know, let, let's look at, and you know, depending on what they're doing, you know, what's, what's their output? You know, if they're, if they're working in, in, um, 
you know, in a hotel and they're cleaning rooms, for instance, how many rooms do they clean, you know, an hour? Yeah. Um, you know, what if you change, the, if, we, if you can change the dynamic with the right people and they can clean twice as many rooms in an hour as by hiring the people that would accept the job at the pay you wish to pay. Well, is that bad? I mean, it's easier to manage half the number of people. Your benefits are half, and you're paying them twice as much, but they're doing twice the work. I would argue a company's far better off doing it that way than it is simply trying to hire people at the lowest possible amount. I guess this is where you need to be a good manager because if you've got a number of people all doing the same job, all getting well, all doing the same job but not necessarily the same productivity, but all getting the same, all getting different levels of, of income, then you're likely to have a war in your hands, aren't you? Well, you know, it, 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 you know the, pro, the, the problem is if you simply pay people a lot but you don't manage them well, you don't look at what they're doing for productivity – uh, you're you're not a, you're not you're not a good manager. You're you're exactly right. You're a bad manager. Yeah. Um, and you know people need to know what you're. You know it's amazing. I, mean, I talk to so many people. I know you talk to so many people. You know, do people know what you expect? Yeah. That's just that simple. Do they know? No, they don't know. They no one tells them. Yeah. That's you know, true. I'm talking about ho- hotels because I was. Last month, I was hired by a fairly major hotel uh, organization with thousands and thousands of hotels, and I spent a lot of time talking to people. and And you sit back and you just you just shake your head and go, "Huh? How do you expect someone to be happy at work when they have no idea what success is?" Yeah. Right. I mean, if you if you hire someone and you don't tell them, here's our expectations. And by the way, here's how you're doing versus your expectations. How do, how do they know they're doing a good job? Yeah. And, you know, then they get frustrated and they, and they leave because, you know, who wants to work in a place where you're doing a miserable job that's tough to do and you have no idea if you're successful and people are only spending their time complaining about what you're doing poorly? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it doesn't work. No, that makes a lot of sense. So... I'm sitting out there and I'm starting up a new business and I'm about to create a, a business plan. And what, what, is, what are the most important things that I should be looking at to put in that business strategy? Well, the key, the key thing you have to sit back is and say to yourself is, what am I doing that's better than what other people do? How do what's the competition doing? What's my niche? What do I do that's better? What's my unique proposition? And what is my vision for where this company needs to be going to be successful? And if you're, you know, look at there, that's not to say you can't have a business that, you know, does what other people do. It's just, if you do, just expect it to be that. Yeah. So let's say just for instance, you know, that you're an electrician and, and you want to start a business as an electrician and, you know, basically the work is going to be maybe you and an assistant and your goal is just to be an electrician and find some business. You know, do you, do you need to have this differentiator and thing I just described? Probably not. But let's just say for the sake of argument, you're looking to build a really great business, which is what I think you're talking about. Sure. Then you got to sit back and say, what do other people do? What will I do differently? Why will it matter 
to people. You know, it always makes sense before you start to validate. You know, I know people, oh, yeah, I'm going to open up a consulting business. Great. Before you open up a consulting business, get a couple of clients. And they go, what do you mean? I go, well, how am I going to have clients? If I don't have a website, I don't have this, I don't have that. <laughs> Look at, figure out what you're going to consult on, why it's going to be different, talk to people. And if you can't, before you open, have a few clients, maybe this isn't the business to be in. Yeah. Um, and so having that differentiator, knowing what it is, having a clear vision of where you're going, then doing the math, understanding what it's going to cost. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting and I haven't checked the statistic in years, but so I hate, you know, being the people that give bad facts, but I did check the statistic at one time and more people go out of business because they're doing too much business than too little. And they don't understand the issue uh, and the impact of cash flow. They don't understand if they have to buy inventory. That you know that you know if you if you have a business um, that's making you know let's say a ten percent profit, which is pretty nice. Yeah. Uh, but your average the average person pays you in ninety days, and you have inventory that's equivalent to you know a couple months sales. Um, you can grow your business, but your cash will, you know, it's not like you're, you're buying things that are worthless. You're buying good things, but you're, you're going to spend a lot more buying inventory and a lot more funding receivables than you're going to earn in profits. And a lot of businesses um, are seasonal too, and people don't um, plan their cash flow. So uh, all of a sudden, business, business um, just drops off because of seasonal reasons and your income drops off and all of a sudden you've got mouths to feed and you're in trouble. That's, well, that, that's, that's exactly right, which is why it's important to do financial planning and to, and to, and to, sit, and to sit back and you know, realize what the, what the impact of, of, of the business is and, and to be properly funded to get started. Yeah. Um, of course, that, and, that's difficult. If you're, if you're a small, starting a small business, um, then one of the biggest problems that I, that I see when I, when I talk to small businesses is that whoever is the um, principal of the business, the guy who invented whatever they're going to do, has to all of a sudden be not only the inventor but the HR person and the accountant and the lawyer and the, he's got 57 roles all of a sudden, um, most of which they have absolutely no experience in doing. So how do you how do you address that if you're a, a small business? Do you hire? Do you, should the should the entrepreneur be the the um, sort of inspirer? So, so, so Bob, let's play, let's play a game. Let's play a game. Okay. Give me a business that somebody wants to start, and I'm going to answer your question. Okay, um, I want to start a a, a car sales yard. I want to sell cars. A car? Yeah, I want to sell cars. So I start off you want the small yard, and I've got half a dozen cars that I want to So you want to, sell, you want to sell used cars? Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because people can do this today so much easier than they could do it before. I, I know people that, you know, this is what they do for a living. They sell them on Craigslist, et cetera, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And, okay, so... What I would tell you is if you really want to be in the car, used car business, 
go work for a used car dealer. Right. Take a job, a job maybe you wouldn't normally take, and maybe you, you know, you're only going to start with six or 10 or 15 cars. Go work for somebody bigger and learn the business. Learn and see what happens. See, see the ins and outs. See what, they, what their best practices are in terms of sales technique. See what they do to finance their vehicle, what they do to acquire their vehicle. Learn the business, then go start. Then go start your own business. Yeah, that. But yeah. you know, to learn to learn on your own is very expensive. Is that to say that someone can't be successful just starting it and doing it themselves? No, you can be. It's all about risk. But only two in a hundred are going to be successful. That's 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 exactly right. So. You know, if you want to start a restaurant, I, I, I cook. I love cooking. A lot of people, oh, I mean, you should start a restaurant. Start a restaurant. Yeah, that's an easy. And I think to myself, yeah, I want to work every night. <laughs> yeah, I want to work every night. I want to work every weekend. No, but if I was ever going to start a restaurant, the first thing I would do is work in a restaurant because yeah. I've never worked in a restaurant. Just because yeah. I like cooking and it's a hobby for me, doesn't mean I'm going to be good at it. Yeah. So, you know, if, if I'm an electrician, you know, I just, you know, accept your penis, you know, I want to spend time working in electrical, you know, for, at, for someone to learn the trade. I mean, the other alternative is to, is to buy into a franchise. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of franchises are excellent, excellent vehicles for people to get going. Um, and they definitely reduce risk in terms of success, you know, at the get-go, at the beginning, for sure. That's not to say they aren't with risk. Yeah. And I think there's a misnomer to think you buy a franchise and you buy complete safety. That's not true. You still have to be confident and you still have to make sure you buy, buy the right franchise, one that works for you, meaning you have the skill set to do it, and one where you have a really good quality franchisor. Not all franchisors are great. Yeah. Uh, a lot of them are great. But, you know, that's if someone says, gee, I have a little money, I want to do something. Um, then you know that's a that's a that's a great way because you're you're getting the best practices, you're getting the help, you're getting all all of those kind of basic things. I guess a restaurant's a pretty good example because you might um, think you're a pretty good cook, you might be a pretty good cook, and you you're terrific at whipping up meals for your, for your wife. You know she's absolutely thrilled with the food she gets every night. However, when you open a restaurant and you've got scale and you've got you know, you've got to buy the right amount of food. You can't throw food out. You've got all that management. Um, it's a whole different ballgame, isn't it? Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, like, I, I mean, I'll give you myself as an example. Every now and then I go and I run a kitchen for a weekend and I cook food for 70 people, three meals a day for basically three and a half days. Okay? So that's a pretty big challenge, and I love it. It's intellectually great has no relevance to my ability to run a restaurant. None. Right. Um, you know, you run a restaurant, you know, you need to have people that are tested and, and, and have gone through serve safe. Uh, you know, restaurants make money making soup because they're using all their scraps, all their leftovers, they're turning food that's waste into money. Yeah. Um, portion control. All the, you know, how you make, you know, how you make meals that taste great, that, that are price right, that you make good margin on, how you upsell and upsell appetizers, alcohol, you know, all these things are very complicated. And, you know, rightly or wrongly, 
it's much more it's much more difficult to be successful today than it was, you know, fifty years ago or sixty Absolutely. years ago. Absolutely. Every every business has become more difficult, more complex, um, because people keep getting better, better, and better. Yeah. Um, and there's more and more of them, and more yeah, and more people want to be their own boss than ever did before. Yeah. And how do you find a site for a restaurant that's the right site? Yeah. You know, but if I went to work for a restaurant, I wouldn't go to work for a lousy one. I can tell you that. <laughs> I go look for work for a train, a, a, a local regional restaurant group. You know, in, in Boston, there are, you know got to be ten or fifteen of these people that are every year opening up one or two new restaurants. Yeah. That really understand how to run a restaurant. They're really really good at it, and I learn. And I, you know, I take different jobs and I move between locations and. And I've learned, and, and then, after I've learned a lot, built a great plan, determined how my restaurant would be unique and different, I understand how to negotiate rents with, with landlords, I understand you know, where good locations are, and I know all these things, then I start my own restaurant. Right. It was interesting because um, my son, when he finished college, um, was going into a, um, a startup and... Uh, Tim Draper said to him, before you do anything, go and get yourself three or four years experience at one of the big four or three or whatever there is now. Um, and, um, you know, make sure you understand how business works from top to bottom and how the financial side of a business works. Then think about going into something if you want to. So he went to Deloitte's and spent a number of years at Deloitte's and then went to Google and he said that was the smartest thing he ever did because by the time he went to Google, he really knew, you know, what the hell he was doing. And that's pretty good advice you know, for everybody, it, I think. It is. You know, I, I'll, I'll throw in a little, a little advice too. Um, you know, if you work in a family business and the family business is doing well and you're enjoying working in family business, uh, quit. Go work for somebody else for a while and come back to the family business. Um, because, you know, the problem in your family business that you worked in your entire life is that's what you know. Yeah. And if you really want to help, if the family business is doing well and, you know, your your parents are still running it and there's plenty of time, if you go and work at a couple other businesses, when you come back to that family business, you're going to be able to add so much more to the business and and help that business grow to new to new levels. Yeah, but if you stay there, perspective. yeah, yeah, when you stay there, you know, I there's a the ham story, which you probably heard, but just for some of the listeners that haven't heard, and it's really nothing about ham; it could be just about anything. Yeah. But you know, this this couple's over, and and the the, the family, the hostess is serving a ham. The ham's delicious. It says, you know, what do you do? How do you cook your ham? What makes it better? And the hostess says, I really have no idea. The only thing I really do that's different is I cut two inches off the ham at the, on the end. Right. And then why do you do that? And I don't know. And they call the mother and they go, mother, why do you do that? Well, I don't know. I, that's what my mother always said. That's why they call the grandmother. And the grandmother says, well, hams are normally 14 inches. And my pot was 12. So I had to cut off two inches <laughs> to get fit in the pot. And, <laughs> and dutifully, they're cutting two inches off a ham for no reason at all. Except for that's how it's always been done. Yeah. And, uh, you know, which really, you know, brings me to, you know, another very valid point for successful businesses. Always got to rethink your business. 
You know, you always have to sit back and say to yourself, hey, if I was going to open up a business and put myself out of business, what would I do? And then once you know what you do to put yourself out of business, do it first before someone else does it. Yeah. Um, Particularly which I think is a, It's really important yeah. today. So many people, businesses are getting disrupted that you've got to really stay ahead of the game. Yeah. Rethink, rethink everything. Challenge everything. Don't let everything be a hand. You know, why are you doing it? I always do it. Why are you doing this? I always do it. Always. You know, that, that's the worst reason to do something. Yeah. Um, do something because it's the right and best thing to do in the business and challenge yourself. Evan, we're really running out of time. So I really want to thank you very much for speaking with me on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Now, if you want to hire Evan as a speaker, visit EvanHackleSpeaks.com. That's E V A N. H-A-C-K-E-L speaks S-P-E-A-K-S dot com and but make sure you don't hire him before you hire me because that would be a big mistake but he's a great <laughs> he's a great speaker <laughs> how about you hire both of us hire yeah, both, hire of, both us. of us there's <laughs> the go we could we could we could do a great dog and pony show I reckon Thank you very much. I also, I also, on that website, if you go there, even if you don't want to hire me to speak, if you look at my articles and podcasts, there's a wealth of knowledge. And, of course, by my book, Enga- Engaging Leadership with an I. Yeah. Um, but uh, it would be fun, Bob, to speak together sometime. Yeah, it would be. It would be, be great. I'd enjoy that. Yeah. So thanks very much. And I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Network after this short break. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's Bob at BobPritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking, absolutely no bullshit business radio show, coming to you on Voice America Business Network right across the world. And we're broadcasting today from Hollywood Boulevard in the technology and entertainment capital of the world, Hollywood, California. As I mentioned at the start of the show, the U.S. elections Uh, on and polling booths have just closed on the east coast it's probably a couple more hours before they close on the west coast and everything's too close to call of course at at this time but uh, pizzas are on and uh, the beer and wine is getting cold and I'm ready to head to the television screen as soon as we finish in five minutes or so now Bill Gates thinks that toilets are a serious business. And, of course, if you want to go, they are. But he's betting big that a reinvention of this most essential of conveniences can save half a million lives a year and deliver $233 billion in cost savings linked to diseases such as diarrhoea, cholera, and other diseases that are caused by poor water, sanitation, and hygiene. 
Now, the Gates Foundation has spent over $200 million over seven years funding research into sanitation. And uh, in Beijing, a week or so ago, they showcased some 20 very novel toilet and sludge processing designs that eliminate harmful pathogens and convert bodily waste into clean water and fertiliser. It is an enormous business and one that is critical to the health of a couple of billion people. Now, Bill Gates told the Reinvented Toilet Expo in Beijing, don't you love that? The Reinvented Toilet Expo in Beijing that a beaker of human excreta contains as many as 200 trillion rotavirus cells, 20 billion shingella bacteria, and 100,000 parasitic worm eggs. Yeah. And new approaches for sterilising human waste may not only save $233 billion, but generate countless billions in development and sale of new toilet systems and help end almost 500,000 infant deaths annually. That's 500,000 kids a year die from unsanitary conditions. Now, the approaches really are novel. One from the California Institute of Technology integrates an electrochemical reactor to break down water and human waste into fertiliser and hydrogen. Now, this can be stored in hydrogen fuel cells as energy. Now, without cost-effective alternative to sewers and waste treatment facilities, urbanisation and population growth are going to add to this challenge. It's going to become a bigger and bigger problem. And in some cities, more than half the volume of human waste escapes into the environment untreated. You think about that. You have a billion people all going to the bathroom every couple of times a day, perhaps, and 50% of that escapes into the environment untreated, not very healthy. Now, every dollar invested in sanitation yields about $5.50 in global economic returns, and that's according to the World, World Health Organization. Human waste that's properly handled can be a very economical, attractive investment due to health benefits, with 2.3 billion people still without basic sanitation, there is potentially a very substantial market and economic gain to be had. The reinvented toilet market could generate $6 billion a year worldwide by 2030, developing solutions that simply leapfrog today's existing infrastructure, functioning everywhere and anywhere. You think about it, the, most businesses have been disrupted, but Toilets haven't changed in donkey's years. Now, the initial demand for the reinvented to toilet will be places like schools, apartment buildings and community bathroom facilities. And uh, as adoption of these multi-unit toilets increases and costs decline, a new category of reinvented household toilets would be available. Then small-scale waste treatment plants 
called omniprocessors could be suited for uses beyond human waste management, could be managing effluent from intensive livestock production and a whole bunch of other things. So we could be looking for new sources of biomass to keep these plants fully busy. When you think of when you think of it, Washington would be a pretty good place to start looking for. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to say it. Remember, if you're not living on the edge, you're taking up too much space. It's easier and it's far more rewarding to do the impossible than it is to do the ordinary. And if you're always trying to be normal, you'll always be boring. You'll never know how amazing you can be. Now, I hope you can join me next Tuesday when I will again be broadcasting from our studios on Hollywood Boulevard in Hollywood, where technology meets entertainment. In the meanwhile, continue to be successful because the alternative to success really sucks. This is Bob Pritchard. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.